Good morning, church. How's everybody feeling today? Good. Twelve of us are doing really well. <clears throat> the rest of us, obviously, are not on spring break. Anyway, it's good to see you today. I'm struggling with the voice a little bit, so I've got all of my success things. I've got the tea and the honey and the water, and so I, by God's grace, I'm going to make it through this thing. But listen, it's so good to see you today, and I love these videos. I love these testimony videos that we've been able to, to bring and show you and share of stories of people right here in our own church about ways that God has uh, moved and worked in their life in different ways, and I love Kendall and Tracy. So thankful that God has brought them to our church <clears throat> Today is going to be a great day. Uh, if you've been a part of our church for a while, um, if you've been walking with us through this Never Settle campaign over these last several weeks, then you know there's kind of an elephant in the room. If you're new with us, uh, welcome to week five of Never Settle. It is a vision series where I am unpacking uh, where, where I believe and where our staff and our board, where we believe God is leading us to go as a church for the next two years as we consider seeing uh, and strive to see 250 people's lives changed by Jesus over the next two years. And today we're going to be talking about uh, something that I know that there's been lots of questions about, something that I know that there's been lots of curiosity about. And today we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. And I'm going to spend some time talking about uh, what does the second campus look like and when are we going to have a permanent home? I was having a conversation with uh, somebody from our board this last week or two weeks ago, and they made a comment that was really interesting to me. They said, you know, I don't know that we, we really need any more convincing. I think we just need a little bit more clarity. And so today, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be so much casting vision, although I am going to be doing a little bit of that. I hope if I do this well, I'll be casting some clarity as we unpack what the final two initiatives in our Never Settle campaign are. Before I get any further, I want to do real quick, I want to do a challenge check. Leading into this, I asked, I asked you if you consider Discover Church your home, be here every week. Get into a small group and help unpack this. And just real quick, listen, there's no, this is not a shame thing, this is a celebration thing. Uh, if you have been here every week and engaged in a small group. Let me see your hands. Hands up. Awesome. 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 Give them a high five and a round of applause to somebody. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, let's see it. If you're tuning in online, hey, let's see, your, let's see your high fives as well. Let's know that you're with us. Come on. Would you welcome everybody that's joining us online today? Come on. Give them a warm welcome. And so we are unpacking what this series is, and we're really, we're really getting clarity on what it is that God is leading us as a church to do as we set our sights on what's next, Lord. And last week I shared with you that the church moves at the speed of obedience. This is why we've spent the majority of our time talking about not just never settle initiatives, but talking about what does a never settle believer, what does a never settle follower of Jesus look like? What do they do? Today, we're going to shift gears just a little bit away from what does a never settled believer look like? What does a never settled believer do? And today, we're going to talk about what does a never settled church look like? What does a never settled church do? I told you if you were here in week one that Jesus 2,000 years ago began a movement. His desire was that his people would carry the movement across all the world. He, 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 he launched this thing and put it in motion and he entrusted the keys to the car, if you will, to his followers. And his followers have, have gone on over the last 2,000 years continuing in this movement continuing to believe that God is doing something, continuing to believe that there are more people that God loves, that God wants to know about the saving grace and the power and the transforming uh, power of the message and the story and the life and the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's how the movement has continued. And, and ultimately, it's been from one generation of never settled believers passing it on to another generation of never settled believers who were connected to these never settled type churches that constantly were looking to be uncomfortable, that were constantly looking to not take a step out of the movement where we, we began to step towards comfort and convenience and we become a monument that's static while everybody else passes us by or we take a step beyond the monument to becoming a museum where the only reason why anybody asks us anything is so that we can tell them about what happened way back in the day. And Jesus's desire is that we would experience a continuation of the power of God and the movement of Jesus on into our lives today and on through us into our community tomorrow. 
God's desire is that we would continue to be a never settle pioneer. And the truth is, is that everything that we've been talking about, about not settling for comfort and, and choosing to be pioneers, everything we've talked about a never settle believer applies to never settle church as well. It just looks a little different. And I believe that there is one element that unites, one, one thing that connects every single church that has ever, ever experienced the move of God, ever continued on and, and felt the move of God move not only into the church, but through the church, into the lives and the communities around them. There's one principle, there's one truth that these types of churches have all bought in on, and it's the principle of multiplication. It's what Jesus desires for his church to be about. And I'm going to unpack that today in a message that I have titled, It's Worth It. Because what I want you to see today is that for, for Discover Church, it's worth it to be the kind of church that Jesus always envisioned when he started it. As we talk about this idea of multiplication, I want to help you see that there are three specific ways that, that God uh, uh, prescribes and leads his church to multiply. The first thing that a church is supposed to multiply is disciples. And I put these, these terms and definitions on the screen for you so you can see them for all my note takers. But what is a disciple? A disciple is a new follower of Jesus who's learning how to align their lives to him and can train others to be able to do the same. Churches are supposed to multiply disciples. Churches are also supposed to multiply leaders. What does a leader look like? A leader is a, is a growing Jesus follower who takes on areas of responsibility both in the church and in the world so that the love and the light of Jesus can shine through them and draw people to himself. And churches are also called to multiply other churches. What, is it, what does this mean? It means that there are new expressions of Jesus communities who multiply disciples and leaders and continue the movement forward. This is what Jesus wants. This is what his desire is when it comes to multiplication. And I believe from the, with, from the bottom of my heart that the moment, the moment a church chooses to not be intentional about the multiplication of disciples, leaders, and churches is the moment that that church steps out of the movement of Jesus and steps towards the monument and is headed well on their way to becoming a museum. And I believe that God's desire is that our church, Discover Church, would never be that kind of church. I'm not, not saying anything ill about any other churches. I just want to talk about what God is calling us to do. He wants us to continue in this movement. This is the reason why one of our core values as a church is reproduce ourselves. And we explain that to say that we, we embrace the call to expand God's kingdom by urgently investing in others. This is what we're about. This is who we are. This is part of the ethos of, of, of the people who call Discover Church home. This is what God is calling us to be about. And so today I want to share a message with you. And I've kind of organized it into, if it were a book, it would be like three chapters. The first would be this. It would be a brief biblical framework for multiplying churches. The second chapter would be the final two never settle initiatives. And the third chapter is titled, Why I Don't Want to Do This. And we're going to have some fun as I open some things up for you in chapter three. Let's dive in and start with a biblical, a brief biblical framework for multiplying churches. Churches should seek to multiply churches for a few reasons. Number one, because Jesus cast vision for it. In Matthew chapter 28, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus' command, his instructions to his individual followers was to not stay here, but to go there and make disciples. He clarified this in Acts chapter one and verse eight when he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He gives these instructions. He gives these directions. He said, listen, start here and start working your way out. But know this, know that you're not gonna go by yourself. You're not gonna be alone because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit who's gonna give you power that you didn't know you could have. He's gonna give you words that you didn't know you could speak. He's gonna be able to, to give you clarity and wisdom and direction that you oftentimes didn't even know that you needed so that you can go be my witnesses and you can, you can continue on in the movement. 
Jesus not only cast vision for it, Jesus modeled multiplication of churches. In Matthew chapter 9, 35, Jesus said, or it says this, and Jesus went about to all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You see, Jesus didn't confine himself to one space and told everybody, I'll be here between the hours of this time and this time. Y'all come on. If the door's open, come on in. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus proactively went around to different places where different people were, understanding that people who know nothing about Jesus, people who couldn't care less about Jesus, are not going to be inclined to come and find out about Jesus. Instead, Jesus proactively goes to where they are, and he inserts himself into their rhythm, into their story, into their life, so that they could know the truth about who he is. Not only did Jesus model it, the disciples continued it. In Acts chapter 12, we see that the Jesus movement has spread 300 miles north from Jerusalem to a town in Antioch. And by Acts 13, verse 2, it says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the, uh, and, and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. What were they doing? They had leaders that they had multiplied and they were now preparing to send those leaders out into new places so that they could start new churches, so they could tell people about the the power of Jesus and they could continue the multiplication efforts, continuing to spread outward from where it started in Jerusalem. As you read Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14, you come across and you see the unfolding of Paul's first missionary journey, where they went to town after town after town after town after town, going into and proclaiming the name of Jesus, multiplying disciples, multiplying leaders, and then starting churches and multiplying churches. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, what we learn is, is that even though that there's new churches spread all across Asia Minor, by the time we get to Acts chapter 15, we find out that there's some conflict between all of the churches. And even though that the ministry was happening through all of these churches and all of these localized places across Asia Minor, when the, when an issue came up, they came back to a central leadership in Acts chapter 15, where they gathered together in Jerusalem under the leadership of James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and they worked through their issue and then James made a decision and then they said, okay, we agree and we fall on board with this. And then they scattered and went back out to their places to continue in the ministry in their local areas. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, many of the books and the letters, almost half of the New Testament then are letters written by the Apostle Paul, who in Acts 13 was sent out to a lot of these places. And he writes letters now as a voice of authority, trying to instruct or correct or encourage these new disciples, these new leaders and these new churches through a primary voice of authority, utilizing the technology of his day through the writing of letters and the transporting from one place to another. He's providing... um, biblical and theological and missional clarity as to how it is that God would desire for these churches to operate. This is why God wants churches to multiply, because the Jesus movement was able to impact more people because there were more never settled believers and more never settled churches that chose to never stop multiplying. And the movement expanded and expanded and expanded to our now, you and I are able to know about the message of Jesus. We owe our faith to these early believers who chose not to settle for comfort or complacency, but oftentimes were willing and many times did lay down their lives so that more people can know about the message of Jesus. They multiplied disciples, they multiplied leaders, and they multiplied churches. And with that as a biblical framework, let me move to chapter two of our message today, which is the final two never settle initiatives. The question for us then as a church is not if we're going to multiply as a church. The question for us as a church is how. 
God, how would you have us multiply disciples? And we're constantly trying to grow and improve in that. God, how would you call us to multiply leaders? And we're constantly growing and trying to prove and how we can identify leadership potential in the people of our church. We can call that up. We can equip them to lead not only in the church, but outside of the church. My hope and my prayer is that someday there would be people in their places of business, out in the business world, out in, out in the marketplace, that their bosses, their supervisors, their employers, would look at them and they would see the growth, the leadership growth that has happened amongst you. And then you, when, when they say, hey, something's changed in you, something's grown in you, and they go, man, how have you been able to grow in your leadership this much? My hope is that you would be able to say, because my church chose to multiply leadership in me. You see, when I'm talking about multiplying leadership, I'm not just talking about so that you can do stuff better for the church. I couldn't care less about that. What I care about is for us maximizing every single thing that God has put in us, whether you are serving and leading in the church or whether you are serving and leading outside of the church, that you could lead with such proficiency and such excellence that you would be able to shine brightly the light and love of Jesus so that people could see you and go, man, what's going on with you? And you could say, I just got to tell you, Jesus is working in my life and my church is serious about helping me maximize everything God's put in me. That's how I've been able to grow. That's my prayer that someday that would happen and we're working on that. But we're also asking God the question, God, how are we going to multiply as a church? We need to understand that there's two basic ways that churches typically multiply. They either multiply by starting a new autonomous church, kind of like Discover Church was started. I was on staff at a church in Lee Summit called Abundant Life for 11 years, and God began to stir in me and them, and, and they sent us up here to the Northland. And yes, we have a relationship with Abundant Life, but we are our own church. We stand on our own two feet. We've got our own unique mission and vision and values that, that makes us unique to, who, what God, to what God has called Discover Church to do. That's one way. And God willing, that's going to happen and we are going to send out hopefully scores of new churches all across the city and all across the world as God raises up leaders and, and aligns leadership and vision and resources for us to be able to get behind them and launch them out and hopefully launch them out like any responsible parent would desire to do with their own children, that we would launch them with enough resources, enough coaching that they could have every opportunity to be able to stand and advance the message of Jesus out into the world. The second way that churches multiply is by starting a new connected campus where we, 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 we take what we are as a church and we identify a place that we feel like God is leading us to go and we start a new campus in that place. If you were to think about it, if the church is a house, it's like adding a new room to the house. It's not building an all new house altogether. Does that make sense? And this establishes then what our third initiative is as a church, that in the next two years, we will multiply our influence in the Northland by launching a second campus. Listen, in order for us to be able to be a multiplying church, we've got to take a first step. And the first step that God is leading us to do is not to go start a whole new church. The first step God is leading us to do is to launch a new campus. And so what does this look like and what does this mean? Well, it means that we're going to identify a leader to lead that campus. They'll be a part of our staff, be part of our staff meetings, be a part of the umbrella of Discover Church, and that, that when the time comes, and we'll, we'll know more as we progress towards this, and God continues to give us clarity, but when the time comes, hopefully there will be 15 or 20 families from our church that are right here that live in that area of town that we're, we're going to be launching a new campus in, where you would be willing to say, hey, I want to be a part of helping to lead that new multiplied work. We're not asking, we're not going to ask half of our church to get up and go. That's not what we're doing. We're going we're gonna to ask 15 or 20 families to get up that live in that area. And then about six months before we launch, and we don't know exactly when the launch is going to be. There's a lot of things, a hurdles to jump over between now and then. About six months before we launch, man, we're going to commission them just like they did in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to send them out and they're going to do outreach events in the community. And they're going to connect with people and meet people. And, and before we launch, we're go, we hope to see a launch team of 75 to 80 adults where maybe a third to half of them were part of Discover Church to begin with. And roughly two third, half to two thirds of them were people who live in that community that hopefully aren't connected to a church, that through, through the opportunity of serving them and getting to know them and connect with them, we've earned the credibility to invite them to be a part of what God is doing in this new work, and they will help to lead and launch a new campus. And when they launch, 
It will be portable, most likely, very similar to what we have now. In fact, what happens at that campus will be very similar to what you experience right now. It'll probably be portable. So we'll have set up and tear down dream teams and, and there's gonna be small groups at that campus. There's gonna be next steps course at that campus. There's gonna be dream teams serving at that campus. And, and while the, the, the people are serving in, the, in that local municipality, in that local area, the ministry is gonna be localized there as the ministry is being localized here. And instead of just having one area where we are trying to accomplish our vision as a church, we've got two points of attack. Why would we do this? Well, I wanna remind you what the vision of our church is. The vision of our church is that we could see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. That's why we're here. Now we could choose to say the best way to do that is to stay in one place. And there are many churches who have done it this way. We're gonna stay in one place and we're gonna get as big as we can so that our reach can extend further and further. And we're gonna expect as many people out there to make the drive to get here. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. That's just not how God is calling us to do that. Instead, God's calling us to take a little bit more of like a military tactile approach when in a military uh, uh, theater of operations, when, when a unit has come to try to infiltrate an enemy opposition, they oftentimes don't just have one point of attack. What do they do? Bravo company, go this way. Charlie company, go that way. Echo, come from the other side. And they try to attack from multiple points. Now listen, we're not trying to attack anybody. I want to make that very clear. All right? So put down your pitchforks. Leave the Bible thumping 25-pound family Bible on the coffee table. We ain't trying to beat people over the head. See, but we are trying to do something else. You see, the goal of what we're doing here is not grow church growth. Can I tell you something? As long as I'm the pastor here, I will never be as interested in how many people are in the church as I am about how many people who are still outside the church. Because I believe that Jesus was so concerned about how many people were not yet going to heaven that he gave up heaven to come to earth so that he could come and rescue them. Now listen, here's what you gotta understand. Healthy things grow. And can I also just tell you something? If you love how our church is now, if you love the size that it is now, by God's grace, at some point, you are going to be challenged and confronted because what is happening here is healthy because it's growing. Healthy things grow and growing things change. And if we want to continue to be a part of the movement of Jesus, then heaven is going to grow as a byproduct of the work that we do. And as heaven grows by the work that we do, our church is going to grow by the work that we do. And it's going to lead to some changes. But I want you to understand this. Church growth is not the goal. Let me help you see what the goal is. The goal is impact. Can I tell you, I don't believe that God looks down from heaven and has some arbitrary number that a discovered church could reach in attendance every week and go, good job, y'all finally made it. I think what God looks down from heaven by and he's looking at us and he's asking the question, do you know that I said in my word that I'm not willing that any should perish but that all should come to everlasting life? I don't care what church they go to. I just wanna know that my church is willing to sacrifice like I did so that they can know about me and experience heaven that I want them to have. So as we embark on this, there's some things that are going to change. As we add a room to the Discover Church house, the ministry is going to be localized, but the vision, the preaching, the resources, it's all going to be centralized. What does that mean? It means that if I'm preaching, I'm going to figure out, we're going to figure out, when I say I, I really mean they. They 
our awesome staff and our technology people and the people that push buttons and slide things that make, make all of this work. We are going to figure this out. Maybe it's going to mean staggering service time so I can preach in one location live and then go to the other location live. In all probability, it's probably going to mean that much like the Apostle Paul did in his day, utilizing the technology that was available to him, we're probably going to utilize some technology where video and and screens are going to be involved. And listen, for some of us, we don't like that. Listen, I get that. But last I checked, none of us have a hard time consuming content through screens. If Facebook can hoodwink you into giving up hours of sleep by being in bed just going, oh, I can't believe they posted that. Mm-mm. Oh, uh-uh, I'm And with that one button, the world was changed forever. (laughs) Can I just tell you something? If, if If the world can use screens and technology to put more money in somebody's pocket, can't we use screens and technology to get more people to heaven? We're going to share resources financially under one umbrella. We're going to have one vision that we march to as a church, but the way it expresses itself might be a little bit different from one campus to the other. I'm all out of sorts in my notes. Let me get caught up here. Where are we going to go? We don't know. We're praying about it. It'll probably be either Liberty or Parkville. Any Liberty people in the house? Parkville, this is your chance. You get to win. Parkville, any Parkville people in the house? Listen, we don't know where God's going to lead us yet. We've got a lot of work to do. Honestly, we've got a lot more questions than answers. We're just hoisting our sail and saying, Lord, you just blow us, and we're going to just figure it out as we go. That's where God's leading us. It's not unintentional, and it's not without strategy. We're just simply saying, God, we're going to follow you. We're going to hire somebody to join our staff. Matter of fact, we're in the process of the hiring, uh, hiring phase now of trying to add somebody to our team where they can spend about a year with us getting to know you, getting to know the culture of Discover Church, getting to know the community in the area. We're going to eventually launch that person out to be the campus pastor. So listen, we just, we're just a couple weeks into this. If you know somebody that loves Jesus, has ministry experience, and, and, and has a, a knack for leading at a high, fairly high level, listen, my email is journeyin at discoverchurchkc, and they're resume and cover letter. We'd love to talk to him. Would that be the person that God would have? I don't know. So we're going to launch with a campus pastor. We're going to launch with uh, an additional full-time equivalent of, of some additional staff to help with some of the support stuff. What is that going to look like? Is that going to be one person full-time? Is that going to be a few people part-time again? I don't know yet. I'm being honest with you, letting you know what the plan is and what we know now. And all told, as best we can tell, with all the startup expenses and all the personnel and all the equipment and the launching and the marketing and all that stuff, by our best estimate, it's going to cost us about a half a million dollars to do this, which is about what it costs us to start this campus. I don't know if you've noticed a little thing called inflation. We'd probably be able to buy a little bit less then than what we did now. But, but again, that's what we feel like it's probably going to cost us. And the vision is that even though that that campus may start and launch portable like this one did, the hope is and the plan is is that we will eventually be established with permanence, which leads us to the fourth Never Settle initiative that in the next two years, we're gonna establish greater credibility in the Northland by financially positioning ourselves for a permanent facility for this location. And all the setup and teardown people said, You laugh, you're going to miss it. And when you tell me that, I'm going to say, I told you so. Listen, it's never been a part of the plan that we would be portable forever. It's always been a part of the plan that we would have a home. And so God is leading us through this journey that we want to be a a church that was planted at one point, but eventually we want to be a church that's rooted. 
Because all of the research and all the statistics show that when churches move from being portable to being permanent, they have greater credibility amongst the community because it communicates that you're not renting, you've bought. You're not waiting for the next thing, you put your roots down into this thing. We want our community to know we ain't going nowhere. The time has come that we will get there. I want to be be 100% clear on something. I am not saying that by the spring of 24, we will have a new permanent home to move into. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that by the spring of 24, we want to be at an advantageous position where we can come to the negotiating table with leverage. There's no shortage of empty buildings. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's no shortage of land. I don't know if you've noticed that. The question that we're asking, what we're praying about is, God, what's the right situation? What's the right place? What's the wisest move for our financial resources? Are we going to build? We don't know. Are we going to buy and, 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 um, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rehab it, thank you. Are we going to buy and rehab? I don't know. That's the reason why our fourth and final initiative is, is that we want to be able to have a war chest of about three quarters of a million dollars where we can come to any negotiating table without having to shut doors before we even get there and say, God, whatever opportunity you have in front of us, we are ready to walk into. And can I just tell you, if God decides to answer that prayer and do it a lot faster, there will be no complaints from me. Let me get to the last chapter. Why I don't want to do this. Take a drink for a second. In the midst of all the uncertainty of the last few years, I've I've spent a lot of time with God, oftentimes just feeling like, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know the right moves to make. Um, I've how, how, how do we do this, Lord? And in the midst of all the uncertainty, I've, I've, we, we've constantly kind of been in two places. We've, con- we've been kind of in the place of let's make sure that we're taking care of the people that we have now as best we can. And I'm just going to confess to you, there are people who left our church because we didn't do a good job. And it breaks my heart that they left our church. Many of them I know have found other churches and praise God, they've gotten connected to other churches. But in the midst of everything that's going on, we tried to try to keep our arms around everything that we have now while also trying to figure out, God, how do we navigate what the next step is? And oftentimes over the last two years, before we even, we made a plan and before we even took that step, the plan had to change. And God just kept bringing this thought back to my mind, this thought back to my heart that has helped provide some clarity. And as I would pray to God, as I would open his word, I felt like God would constantly say, lead with your eyes on the future and your heart in the present. Don't give up, don't give up the vision of the movement because of the conditions of the present. But know where your people are. Make sure you care about them because they're in the midst of it right now. So a little over a year ago, when God began to stir in my heart again about the vision of being a multi-site church, I had a little bit of a freak out. I'm like, how about no? I didn't call him Scott. felt like that would have been disrespectful. Some of you are much holier than the rest of us who have never seen Austin Powers. And... <laughs> Began praying about God, what, what does this look like? Started talking about it with our staff and our board and was reminded just two weeks ago, actually, by another board member. I said, you know, I know a lot of people are asking questions about this, but what a lot of people don't know is that this isn't new. I remember you talking about this in your living room before we ever even started, thinking, how about we start the first one first? And I go, oh yeah. So when God began to stir this again a little over a year ago, 
just had a lot of reasons where I just I said, God, I don't know that we can do this. I don't know if this is right. I mean, listen, nobody wants a permanent home more than I do. Can I just tell you, pastors are people. In the same way a dude likes to show off his latest toy with his, with his boys, in the same way the ladies like to show off whatever it is ladies like to show off when they're with the girls, pastors like to show off their buildings to their other pastors. I'm not saying any of that is right. I'm just letting you know that we're people too. I was just with a friend this weekend. He was like, hey, bro, I want to take you to, take you to my church. Once you see what we've been doing? Great, love it, let's go. Nobody wants a building more than I do. And I began telling God, God, I don't think this is right. I don't think we should, I don't think we should do a campus before we do a building because the experts say you build a building first, you get a bunch of people first, you get a larger, you know, launching pad first, you get more momentum first, and then you do it. God, let me tell you the names of all of my pastor mentors that I've talked to as I've come to them and said, hey, this is what I feel like God's leading me to do. What do you think about it? And every single one of them said, well, that's certainly against the grain. God, it was easy when I was in my living room and we didn't even have a church to talk about having two churches. But God, now I'm here. And I see the faces of the people who sacrifice and give week in and week out. And I see that they're tired. Wore out and weary. Many of the people that are serving today have been serving relentlessly since before the pandemic. They'd love to invite you to come join them, by the way. Join a dream team. Be a part of what God's doing. I love how Kendall and Tracy talked about that today. Jump in and serve somewhere. Start somewhere. But I remember praying almost a year ago. All right, God, it's time for us to get serious about this. I've had all these conversations and I do all my best thinking in the shower. And so I was praying in the showers like, God, when I get to the office tomorrow, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to make a pros and cons list. We've talked to the staff. I've talked to the board. They're asking questions. They're, they're, they're respectfully challenging the vision, trying to help sharpen it, make it clear. I've talked to mentors and pastors. I've spent time in your word. And I just keep feeling like it's, this is what we need to do. We need to get into a space first, and then we launch. So God, tomorrow I'm going to carve out about an hour and a half. I'm going to sit down with my whiteboard at my desk. I'm going to put some music on and I'm just going to just get it all out on the, on, the, on the board about what it is. And the next morning I woke up to do my devotions. And listen, I'm not typically the kind of guy that thinks that this is how God always speaks. But y'all, when I tell you God rung my bell, I mean God rung my bell. Because on March 28th, I got up and I, got, I sat down to do my devotions. And I was, one of the things I was reading was Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. And this is what he, what he said in his devotion. He said, I know when the instructions have come from God because of their quiet persistence. But when I begin to weigh the pros and the cons, Lord, I believe that perhaps you're speaking to me. He said, but when I begin to weigh the pros and the cons and doubt and debate enter into my head, I am bringing in an element that is not of God. This will only result in my concluding that his instructions to me were not right. Then he pivots and he says, are you debating whether you should take a step of faith in Jesus? Or whether you should wait until you can clearly see how to do what, he's at, what he has asked? When he tells you to do something and you begin to debate, it's because you have a misunderstanding of what honors him and what doesn't. Are you faithful to Jesus or faithful to your ideas about him? Are you faithful to what he says or are you trying to compromise his words with thoughts that never came from him. I wrote in my journal the next day, yes, Lord, I'm listening. And I'd love to tell you that was it, like that settled it. 
But a couple days went by. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Like you have a moment, like, all right, Lord, I got it. Yes, Lord, I'm never going to do that ever again. Yes, Lord, I'm going to only do this. And then a couple days go by and you sleep on it. And then you kind of forgot about what you had talked about with God. Am I the only one that ever does that? Okay. Welcome to church. A couple days, a couple weeks went by and I got back into the arguing with God about why this isn't right, why it doesn't work. And I went on my vision retreat at the end of June, something I do every year. I noticed once when I was studying scripture that Jesus would often get away and spend an extended amount of time with the Father. and said, well, if it works for him, maybe I should do that. So every year since we started our church, I take three or four days in the summer, just get away in isolation, spend some time with the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> I walked into my vision retreat last year. We're like, all right, Lord, let's go. Me and you in the ring, let's make it happen. We are at a decision point. We need to make a decision. The staff, the church, they need to know where we're going, God. And God was like, okay. I thought it was round one, but God was like, this is like round 48. Church, when I tell you I had an encounter with God, one of the most profound encounters with God I've ever had, I, I mean, it, it, God wrestled me to the ground much like he did Jacob in the Old Testament. He said, listen, son, this is what I'm going to do. You're either going to jump on or you're going to jump off. One of our other values as a church is that we keep it real. We won't bow at the altar of image, hide our scars, or live behind masks. We're willing to risk rejection for the sake of acceptance and healing. And at the risk that I might lose credibility in your eyes, I want to share with you what I wrote in my journal that day. I've been wrestling with the steps to take for our church in this season. Again and again, I felt his hand guiding me to multiply before we build. But I've been so concerned about it not going well and losing credibility with our church. I've been afraid people would not understand and they would not follow because they have already given so much. I've been wrestling through whether or not it's my own selfish ambition that is driving this decision or if it's really the vision from the Lord. But today God has spoken so clearly into my soul that I'm afraid and that I'm motivated by fear, not by faith. I am afraid of losing credibility. I am afraid this will fail and people won't trust me. I am afraid that people won't see me as a good leader. As much as I put up a front as if, it, as if I don't care what people think, what I've realized today is that my identity is not so much wrapped up in whether or not people see me as a great pastor and whether or not people see me as a great leader. I want so badly for people to see me as strong, successful, confident, and a competent leader. I believe the lie that my identity is wrapped up in my leadership success, which means that if I fail, if this fails, then it would make me a failure as a leader, which would then make me a failure as a person. But that's not true. Today I'm understanding in a new way that the only credibility I need is from Jesus. And all he cares about is that I follow him through the darkest valleys, the harshest storms, the most uncertain situations. And he is calling me to trust him once again. He's asking me to trust him with what I have, to risk it all, to risk failure and to risk people's perception of me for the sake of seeking him and seeing him do something that is beyond anything that I could ever do on my own. What it really boils down to is Jesus is asking me, what do I care about more? My reputation and credibility from the people I lead or the souls of hundreds of people who call the Northland home. When I finally see it this way, I feel shame. Shame that I've doubted this move. I feel shame that I care so much about myself and my credibility. 
God, the truth that you are speaking so profoundly into my spirit today and into my soul is that every ounce of what I need to do what you have called me to do will only ever be found in Jesus as I follow you with everything. And that all that is needed for the work that you have called me to do in order for it to be accomplished will be provided by you. And at the end of the day, the greatest credibility any pastor or leader can ever have is found when the people he leads knows that their leader is following Jesus and not his own selfish will. And even as I write this, I have tears welling up in my eyes. Yes, Lord. Lord, this is what I want. I want to run the race that you've called me to. It is only found in Jesus. I want to keep the faith, not faith in past things from past successes, but the faith that continues to grow and trust and follow you above all, with all, no matter the cost. God, I have no way of knowing what you intend to use my life to accomplish. But I do know I intend to take everything you've given me, use it up, and give it back to you. And that's not possible if fear keeps me evaluating what I should and should not do when faith has told me over and over again what I should do. So today, in this moment, Jesus, your face, your smile, your presence, your affirmation, and your approval, that's all I care about. So God, I'm bringing everything to you again. I'm laying myself at the altar again. I am yours. It is yours. My life my family, my church, my credibility, and my reputation, Lord, it is all yours. God, would you use me to lead as many people as possible out into the deep where their feet will fail them? Would you use me to lead people to a place where they have no other choice but to call upon your name, where they are fully dependent upon you to keep their eyes above the waves, where they can know that they can rest in your embrace because they know that they are yours and you are theirs. Will you use me to lead people to the place where they can see that to be in your presence will require an uncomfortable faith so they can be nearer to you and so that they can bring people with them to know who you are? Why am I sharing this with you, church? I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know that every question you have, I've had. Every concern you share, I share. Every strategic thought about whether this is the right step or the wrong step, I've had them all. I've just had the advantage of about 15 months to work through it. Maybe you're a lot smarter and more spiritual than I am and you can get there faster than I did. But what I know, after over a year in prayer and working through this with our staff and with our board, what we know is that we are convinced that this is the step that God is leading us to take. Why does it matter? Because never settle is not an either or vision. It's not either we have a campus or a permanent home. Never settle is a both and vision that we will both have a campus and a permanent home, but the sequence matters. And it matters because I am convinced that if we take the step to launch a campus, then we will take the step to find a permanent home. But if we take the step to launch a permanent home first, then I'm unsure that we will ever have the faith again to take the step to launch a campus. Why do I feel that way? Because our nation is full of empty church buildings that were built by well-intentioned believers who got into the space and then settled down. And the movement stopped. I 
I can tell you this is a vision that makes me excited and uncomfortable all at the same time. It's a vision to me, maybe it doesn't feel this way to you, but to me it feels like it's a vision that demands divine intervention. I want you to see it all on one, one screen, one slide, one page of what it is. This is our vision. To see 250 people's lives changed. In order to get there, we're going to equip every person for personal evangelism. We're going to launch a partnership to help address homelessness in our community. We're going to launch a second campus so that we can expand our influence. And we're going to position ourselves to have a permanent home for this location, for this campus, so that we can have greater credibility in the eyes of the community. And it's a vision that I'm completely sold out to. And I'm asking you to follow. I was talking to somebody this week and they said, uh, you know, Jaron, you, uh, you have really impeccable timing. You launched a church 18 months before a global pandemic that shut all the churches down. You're launching a vision campaign when inflation is at a 40-year high. I got thinking about that later this week, and I thought, man, my timing is really good. The stairs on my deck rotted out last year when lumber was at an all-time high. And three months ago, Jessica and I decided that next week we're going to take a road trip when gas is at an all-time high. Guess I should just say you're welcome. Can I tell you something about our God? He is aware and concerned about the issues of our time and how they affect our lives. But he's not concerned about how it affects his plan. So I'm asking you to pray. God, what would you have us to do? I heard from a small group this week as well. They said, you know, someone in our small group said, you know, we're inflation, gas, I mean, we're stretched kind of thin, but man, God's leading us that we need to jump in and serve. We're going to go serve back and discover kids. Now, listen, I don't, I don't know who said that. So before you think your small group leader dimed you out to the pastor so the pastor could dime you out to the church, I don't know who said that. But God is confirming it. Just make that clear. Next week is going to be a pivotal week for you and for us as a church as we come and we bring our commitment to the Lord. All of this, by our estimation, is going to cost $3 million. And so I'm asking you to come. Would you pray? Would you be ready next week to come and experience the presence of God in a different way? We're going to do things a little differently next week. I believe that next week is going to be a holy moment. If you're new with us at our church and you're like, well, I picked a great Sunday to be here. Just keep showing up. We're not asking anything from you. Just keep showing up. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.